Well, man, uh, seriously, I am so pumped about this series that we are starting Game On. I tell you, Romans 7, Romans 8, if you guys have been here 13 years with me, I, there have been times where I've just like, just bled. You guys got to know Romans 8. It's, I think, maybe the greatest chapter in all the Bible, okay? But you got to kick off with Romans 7, and that's what we're going to do today. Game on. All right. So do you believe you can walk on water? No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. <clears throat> kind of like yesterday in college football, I had no idea. I've never heard this phrase before, but when I flicked on ESPN called yesterday, Cupcake Saturday. Anybody ever heard of that before? Okay. You, you've actually heard of that, Cupcake Saturday? I've never heard of that. Here's why it was Cupcake Saturday. Alabama, number one in the nation, powerhouse, played the inevitable Mercer. Mercer? Is that a community college somewhere? Right? So they won 56 to nothing. The number two uh, team in the nation, Clemson, they go against Citadel and they win 61 to three. Okay? So Cupcake Saturday. Here's what you know, man. What was Mercer thinking when they signed up for this game? You know, oh, so, you're right, Kip. Yep, money. That's right. Okay. So, yes, we will get wiped off the planet for a little dough. Okay. But, but as far as the game itself went, Man, that is, we're going to have to walk on water. Now, when you think about walk on water, what you're saying is, that's something that I know in my head I can't do. It's not going to happen. And so then, do you believe you can win this fight tonight? Oh, come on, you know Mercer didn't think they could win. There's no way. But now, when we think about this life that we're in, battles that we're facing Every one of us is in one. And I know for me, the biggest battle many times is just when I'm walking, let's say I walk into the bathroom, stand and look in front of the mirror. And you see yourself in that mirror. And you know, game's on. In fact, I remember, I, was, I didn't think about this till this morning. I, and if I would have, maybe during the week I could have found this. But uh, years ago, I think I was like in high school or maybe even early college or something. And, and I was, I, I was a good kid, man. I was. I was nice to people, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But there was other stuff I was doing that nobody else had any idea I was doing. Anybody else? Okay, there was a whole other person inside. And I remember one of those nights that I had, I came home and I walked and I sat and I looked into the mirror. And when I looked in the mirror, because it was Saturday night and tomorrow morning I was going to go to church, right? Where everybody knew I was this really good kid. Just like all of you are so good. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember thinking, everybody when they look at me, they think I'm this really good kid. I said, but when I look in the mirror, I see me. I know me. I know things about me that nobody else knows. And so do you about yourself, man. And sometimes you see, you look at yourself, you contemplate these things, especially now when you're older. And you look in the mirror and you go, if that is ever going to change, I'm going to have to walk on water. And you've gotten to the point now where it's like, this is never going to change. This is who I'm going to be. And I want to tell you, man, this is what the Bible is addressing. This is where Satan, you know, Jesus said, Satan came. The, en the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Literally. That's what he wants to do. And many of us are letting that happen. And we're actually believing that that's just it, man. Game is on, and I'm a loser. Right? I'm a loser. And yet Jesus said, but I came 
so you could have life and you could have life to the full. You guys, here's what's true, man. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? We all know the story, okay? How many of you actually read the book? Anybody actually read the book, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? One, two. We got two people, good. All right, so, but we all know what it is. And it was interesting looking back at this by Robert Louis Stevenson. Here's what Dr. Jekyll believed. He believed that human beings are not one, but you're actually two persons. That every human being has a radical duality living inside of you. Right? On one side, you have a virtuous self. You have a conscience, right? And you want to do what's right. And then on the other side, you have this self that's just grasping for selfishness. You're just all about you. And so what Dr. Jekyll asked the question, he said, can you imagine what would happen if somehow you could house those two identities completely separate? And then I wouldn't live with this angst, right, that all of us live with every day where I can't be who I really want to be. So he comes up with this potion. It enables him to separate the two. What's interesting, and I didn't read the book either. I listened to a message where a guy had read this book. In the book, he says, as soon as Dr. Jekyll created this Mr. Hyde and they separated, he was completely good. Dr. Jekyll was good, but Mr. Hyde was pure evil, completely selfish to the core. And what he says in the book, he goes, I had no idea I was actually that wicked. I had no idea that there was that much evil within me until it separated. So, right, so the whole story goes on, and every time he's Dr. Hyde, or I'm sorry, Mr. Hyde, people can't even stand being around him. He's destroying his life. And so Dr. Jekyll determines, right, I'm going to take the potion, I'm going to turn back into Dr. Jekyll, and I'm going to do this. And so for three months... He's good, perfectly good, and he's righteous in everything that he does. And so he's sitting on the park bench, and as he is, as he's contemplating his goodness, all he can think about is how he's better than everybody else around him. And as soon as he starts thinking about how good he is and how other people aren't as good, he looks down, and his hands are getting hairy, and he's turned back into Mr. Hyde. It's a battle You can't win. You can't win. Either it destroys you, your evil side, or your good side, trying to show how good you are, turns you into someone who's proud and doesn't love anybody. It's a no-win situation. And then, so here's, so that's true. And every one of us, Christian, non-Christian, every one of us has this battle inside where I can't be who I really want to be. Well, then you become a Christian, right? So if you're not a Christian, you know, thank you for joining us. I mean, so love that you would consider investigating uh, these claims. But for all of us who are, what happens? You receive Jesus. He comes into your life. He forgives you of all of your sin. And then so you're like finally relieved. You don't have guilt and shame anymore, and it's awesome. And then he also gives you his Holy Spirit. So the presence of God is now inside you. And it's full of joy and full of peace. And how many of you remember when you first became a Christian, right? Wasn't it awesome? You're like, oh my God, this is great. I don't even want to do what I used to do. And I feel all happy and gooey. And I praise God. And then about two weeks later, (laughs) two months, I don't care what the time frame is. You actually do the very thing that you never want to do again. How many of you? Every one of you. It's the craziest thing. And you thought, wait a second, did this not work? 
I thought I received Christ, the old's gone, and the new's come, right? And so now we have this intense battle, and here's what we need to understand. It's true, all of life is a battle between two selves, but the battle is different before Christ than after Christ. And here's what we need to understand. You don't move from having battle inside, become a Christian, and be like, oh, good, everything's all honky-dory, and I'm wonderful all the time. That's not what happens. You move from this battle to a different battle. But it's a different battle. This first one, you can't win. You can't win. This one, you gotta be here all five weeks to actually believe this. This one, you can't lose. You can't lose! Oh, but it's still a battle, all right? So here we go, man. I don't know if you, Romans chapter 7, if you've been a Christian uh, for any length of time, the first time you read this chapter, you're like, this is in the Bible? You're like, Are you, it's so helpful, okay? Pull it up, man. Grab your, grab your app. If you have the K2 app, grab your Bible on your phone. Or Somebody actually said they brought a paper one. It's cool. All right, here we go. Romans, uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Amen? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do, <laughs> this is hilarious. I do, 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 do. If, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it but it's sin living in me that does it. So, I find this law at work, principle at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war. There it is, man. Game on. And this is like warfare inside of me, Paul says. Uh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! <laughs> Who in the world will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature... I'm a slave to the law of sin. Now, you guys, here's what's cool about this passage. This is Paul speaking. This is super apostle, right? I mean, this is the guy when I read the Bible, it's like, he doesn't do anything wrong. Well, apparently he does. This is his own testimony. And this is what we got to understand here, right? Because when we read this, we can immediately think, and these are important to understand, you never get so advanced that you don't see your sin. Okay? Just, let's just understand that. 
Because sometimes I think that we as Christians, you know, we think there's like a bell curve, right? On the bottom here, you've got all the really good, like Mother Teresa's and Billy Graham's and these people, right, who are just do everything right, you know, in hospitals are named after them and stuff like that. And then over on this end, you got your Hitler's, right? You've got your, your evil, wicked people. And then all the rest of us, we're in here somewhere, right? We're all good. And Paul's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You got a Mr. Hyde in you, man, and you know you do. This is just true. And so you never get, this is Paul writing this, okay? So you never get so advanced that you don't see your sin, and no one gets so advanced that you won't struggle with your sin. And this is, I just want to say, this is so encouraging as a pastor, right? Because sometimes we're like, well, you, you've been in ministry for 30 years, Nelson. You better have your act together. Well, I ain't even close to Paul. Can I just tell you? And so if you're struggling today, what this passage says is, welcome to being human. And welcome to being a Christian. So here's the deal. You know your battle, man. You know what you see when you look in the mirror. And some of you today, you're believing that it's going to be like walking on water to ever overcome this thing. Well, guess what? There's one who did. There's one who did. And here's, I'm going to pray. Okay, I want to pray for you before I unpack this thing. But you have to pray for yourself. Okay? Here's the deal. How many of you would love to find a power that could help you actually overcome this game that's going on inside? How many of you would love to have that? All right? Absolutely. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Do you believe that God could actually speak to you today? Okay, here's what he says. He says, my sheep know my voice and they listen to me. So I believe with all my heart, he's going, he is here in this room. He knows you, he loves you, and he's ready to speak to you. But he, all he needs, all he needs is a heart that's super open. And we'll just say, okay, God, man, I would love for you to set me free. Okay? So let me pray. But while I'm praying, open your heart to him and ask God to speak to you today. Okay? Father, we thank you for your presence in this room, for this truth that is so dead on with every one of our struggles. Thank you for putting this in the scripture. I thank you for the hope that it gives us. I thank you and worship you because I know you love everyone in this room. You love me. And you want to help me know how to fight this battle. So I just pray, God, that you would speak that your word would be clear, and that you would help every person know exactly what you want them to know. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. Game is on in this passage, man. There's so much of this going on. I got four things I'm going to show you of this battle that's inside of you, and then we're going to see. And again, by the way, okay, this is Romans 7, okay? This is just establishing the problem. I'm going to establish the problem today. To win, you actually need to get the game plan, which is the next four weeks. Okay, we are going to unpack Romans 8 in four weeks because it is there for us for how to win. Okay, so here's the first battle inside. You have God's law versus the law of sin. And the game is on between them. All right, look at this, verse 21. Paul says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, in my deepest part, in my soul, I delight in God's law, but I see another law 
at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is at work within me. So I'm sitting there with this this week and I go, okay, so how is a law, how does a law actually at work within us? And here's what I thought. Here's what laws do. We all have laws. Laws actually move you to do certain things, okay? So traffic laws, what do they do? It's why I stop when the light is red. It's why I drive the speed limit because it's best for me, right? And it's best for everybody else around. That's the law. But I have another law at work within me that says, I can't drive 65. Anybody else got that law inside of you? It's crazy. I got that one or 70. I can't even do that one. And definitely not 35. All right. I got a whole nother law in there. It says, I can't be late. The horse says, I can make it. Right? Anybody else got that law in there? I can make it. How about you? Anybody else? I've been on the other side of the guy who thought he could make it. Anybody else? I want to tell you, man, my first year here, it was Mariah's birthday. I was coming home for her party. Get off I-80 at the 13th East exit, sitting there at the red light. Turns green. I get out, and somebody thought they could make it. Bam! Full speed just broadside me. That's what happens when you think you can make it. See, there's laws, right? And so I remember, it's like, I've been on the other side, but I've also, like back in Michigan, you guys, you want to clear these things. And in Michigan, we have Michigan lefts. Anybody know what Michigan lefts are? Okay, it's super, okay, a few of us, it's crazy. So what happens is, instead of just turning left at the light, you have to go through the light, and then you'd make a U-turn back this way, and then you turn right. And that's how you go left in Michigan. All right, so, so one day, I go through the light, I turn in the thing, and I stop. The red is light, but it's a one-way, so you can go. I look, there's nobody around me anywhere. So I turn, and I pull up the thing, and immediately, the guy pulls me over. And I'm like, wait, what's happened? Why'd you pull me over? I go, I stopped at the light. I look both ways. There's nobody coming. He goes, I know, but the sign there says that you can only turn, you can't turn on a red light between three and five. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? And I went back later. Yep, it does say that. But I'm like, but there was nobody around. I'm like, that's it, baby. I'm going to court. So one time we're like, I'm fighting this ticket. So I get in there, right, to fight this ticket. And I'm like near the end. It was hilarious, man. This judge sat up there and all these people, one after another, tried to clear their ticket for running a red light. Holy crow. That judge got so intense and so mean. He goes, let me tell you, I will show you pictures of what happens to people when others think they can go through the red light. You tell me about the, and then you just went off all the people who die. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. And I got up there and I went, I turned left between three and five. (laughs) And he just looked at me and he said, done, get out of here. I mean, he, he just, it was intense. So here's the deal. This is how a law is at work within you. Paul says, I find this law at work every time I want to do anything. There's a sign that says no. Every time I do something, I choose to do something, an officer of the law pulls me over and says, that's not how it's done here. And what I mean by that? Every time, here's what Paul's saying. Every time I want to follow God, the law of sin inside of me goes, no! Amen, right? 
How many of you have sat in here and you know, man, God's been stirring your heart and he's asking you to do something. And as soon as you think, I might do that, some, this whole other side of you starts screaming, don't do it. You have a law inside of you. But here's the other thing. Once you're a Christian, as soon as you go, man, I'm going to go ahead and, and satisfy a lust. I'm going I'm I'm to put myself over another person, seek a pleasure or take advantage of somebody else. As soon as you do that, what happens? This law cries up and goes, no! And you're like, oh my God, I can't do anything. Because no matter what I do. In Galatians 5.17 nails it. Look what it says. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You guys, it's just our battle. And here's what's crazy. So in either case, you have to break the law to move forward. In either case, you have to decide, I'm going against you. So when you decide that you want to follow God and the law of your sinful nature says no, you have to break that law. But if you decide you're going to go ahead and sin and the spirit of God rises up, his law comes up and says no, you have to decide to break that law. You, you, <laughs> this, is, this is just our state. You will never do what you want to do. All right, let's pray. Amen. <laughs> but it's just the case. Here's the question, though. Which law is going to prevail when you have to make that decision? Can I, can I just give you, can, can I give you probably the main example that the Bible gives us, okay? The biggest struggle in Scripture, because it's used more than anything else, is our finances. Our, our finances is one major place where, where war happens. In fact, I've said this before, but I think it's so funny. Most, I heard one guy say, he goes, when we get baptized, almost all of us get baptized like this. Right? We get on and we give God our life, but we hold this up. And, and, and so why, but let me just ask you, you know, we'll take our offering later. Why do you, why, no, but seriously, let me just ask you, why do we do that? Why do you do that? Because when you love someone, come on, think about who you love with all your heart. Think about who you love more than anyone else on this planet. What do you do? You just bless them, man. You give everything that you can to those people. You'll work your tail off and sacrifice your life just so you can give your family, your wife, your, your husband, your kids good things. So the highest motivation to give is because you love, right, Christian? Right? If I asked you, do you love God? You'd all go, yes. Well, if you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, but you could never actually give to him, that would be really weird. It'd be hard. So part of the reason you give is because you just love him. And then at the same time, though, when Jesus said, hey, and if you love me, then you'll obey my commands. And so one of the things that's super clear in scripture is God says, hey, everything you have, I gave to you, everything. And so all I'm asking is give me 10%. That first 10 is actually mine. So all I want you to do is just give me what's mine. Well, if you love somebody, wouldn't you give them what's theirs? <laughs> so that's the highest level. But then there's another level. Another, you know why else you give? It's because you love people, Right? You love people. And so when you give to the church, the church is all about mission. And when you're on mission, all we're doing is trying to help people. So sometimes you go, man, the reason I give is because look what's happening. And I want to tell you, man, it's so cool. Like Katerina talked about the junior high retreat. 
We have a new men's thing that we're doing on Wednesday nights. By any of you guys want to join us, we'd love to have you. On Wednesday, I'm sitting here with these guys, and three of the men in my group said, I can't believe what happened at that vertical retreat. They go, my kids are completely different. Come on, all you parents who have middle school kids, right? Your middle school kids are completely different? How much do you need, right? I mean... Because I, I, would, I would give, because why? Because I want to see people's lives change. 170 women, we had a chance to do that. You guys, in our last three baptisms, we've had over 70 people come down in front of you all and say, I finally believe in Jesus, right? I mean, I've, I've, I've received Christ. So why do you give to the church? Because the money that comes here does all the ministry that's blessing your kids and they see right now, your youth who are in the most unbelievable culture struggling to survive, yourself, the people who don't know God. So, so you give, why? Because you love people. And then here's a third reason you give. You know why you give? Because you love yourself. How many of you love yourself? Okay, a bunch of liars. You just, in fact, that's why the Bible said, love your neighbor as yourself because you're really good at it. But here's what's crazy. But here's what's crazy. And yet all of us know it is more blessed to than to. Interesting. So if you actually loved yourself and you wanted more blessing, what would you do? You'd give. And yet almost every time the offering bag goes by, game on. Game on. And somehow we've been duped to believe if I spend all my money on myself, my life's going to be better. And it's like, hold on a second. No, you love God. You love other people. You love yourself. It's a win, win, win every time you give. See, it is a game on. And by the way, and so we needed to, I actually need to share this with you because um, right now, another, another motive for giving is just need. So people, some people go, well, man, I'll give if there was a need. I didn't know there was a need. So can I just give you some current reality here at K2? So we've, been, we have a, we've had a budget, that's, and it's been great. You guys have been so fantastic all through the whole first half of the year through June. We were right on budget. And so we said, man, well, let's just keep going, right? Let's go into the fall. We were super excited. Average giving actually was increased. Well, then summer hits. We all go on vacation, right? <laughs> giving drops out of school. But then September and October come, and every time that happens, the giving pops back up, and we just keep going. Somebody, in fact, after the first service, they just said, it's like, man, I've never heard you have to address this. I'm like, that's because I've never had to address it. <laughs> but here's what's happened. In the last two months, for some reason, 15 to 20% less giving has actually come in. Okay, that, that ends up being a few thousand dollars a week. Now, here's the problem with that, right? You guys, I'm not good at math, but here's what I know. If for two and a half months, okay, and it's about $7,000 a, a week is gone, you keep adding that up, wow, you know what, we, we can't do this. We will not be able to continue the ministries that we do. And by the way, we just have fixed costs, just like you do at your home, right? When you're doing your budget, <laughs> you look at you, I have fixed costs, and then I have some flexible costs. Unfortunately, the only flexible costs we have here are our ministry budgets and our staff. And so if something doesn't change by January, we literally are going to have to make a, a change, and we have to let some people go. And that's why I just go, oh, man. And that's why some people, you, you got to let the church know. Because <laughs> I'm like this. You don't want us cutting youth staff. And you don't want our children's ministry. You don't, I know you don't want that. But here's what's interesting to me. If we love God with all of our heart, love people more than ourselves, and actually love ourselves, <laughs> we would just give. But the game is on. 
And I just want to invite David York. David York is our, our chairman of our business operations board. He's been so, he's just a great guy. Would you welcome him real quick to the stage? Just um, awesome. And, uh, and here's what I love is we have a great group of people who help us wrestle with these, with these type of things. Not just staff. We bring some of you guys in and help us wrestle. And Dave's my wrestling partner. So go for it, buddy. Well, you know, there's a couple of things that I love about K2 and that actually drew us here. And I'm sure it drew you guys here too. First and foremost, this is a church that takes you as you are. And that's what I love about this church. And you know why? It's because we firmly believe that God takes us where we are. Um, and uh, he doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up, to do a bunch of lists uh, of things to be presentable to him. He absolutely takes us where we are. But there's a second fundamental truth, and that is this. God doesn't leave us where we're at, okay? He comes to make change, and he wants to change us because that is what love is all about. Eli Wiesel said this, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And you think about our God. So many of us, you, you hear in the world that, we have a, that God is an indifferent God. He is not. We know we have a God and a person in Jesus who came to live and to die because he was not indifferent. He wanted to come and he wanted to make change. So, um, and the reality is love takes us where we are and it changes us. So why is the budget guy talking about love, right? <laughs> well, it's because the third fundamental truth is this, that we can actually give without loving. That's actually possible. We can give out of compulsion. We can give out of pride. We can give out of uh, other reasons. But we can't actually love without giving. It's not actually possible. You think about John three sixteen. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. It absolutely is the, the absolute outflow of love is to give. Now, I'd like to think that church budgeting is this big mystical thing. It's really not. It's actually pretty simple. We take what you guys resource us with and we look at how to spend it. We really don't have anything to do with that revenue side. That is completely up to you guys. We simply take what you give uh, and, and we resource it. So... In a while, we're going to have the offering. And I just really want to challenge you. Uh, for those of you who don't give, I want you to think about taking a step of change. Take that step and think, what can I do to actually engage God through love for change? There may be some of you who give on occasion. And I'd like to challenge you to really think through uh, giving as a discipline, giving as an act of faith and an act of belief. You know, it's interesting. Why do we pass an offering plate? You know, I actually have been on the, the business operations board for about five years now. I have no idea how much you guys give. have no clue. I know how much you all give uh, collectively, but we actually don't track how much each one of you give. None of us actually know that. Dave doesn't know that. I don't know that. Because it's not between us and you, it's between you and God. And so I really want you to think about that. And then for those of you who faithfully give, who sacrificially give, thank you. You are the reason that we have 70 baptisms. You are the reason that we have a place where people can come and we can make sure that the water's not too cold that they freeze uh, or not too hot that we scald them, right? You are the reason that we have the resources 
that we can do. So I'm actually not going to ask you to give any more than you're already doing. I am, though, going to invite you to invest in what we're doing here and, and to say, look, if I could get a return on my investment, let me tell you, the things that the staff is preparing to do to serve you, to serve this community, and to serve this world is life-changing. But the reality is we, we have the soldiers, we have the game plan, we just need the tanks. Uh, and so... I am so excited for what we have going forward, but I'm also faced with the reality of where we're at. And so, again, this isn't a call to guilt. This is a call to change, and this is a call to love. Cool. So, thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. <clears throat> and, so, and so, by the way, and every time you struggle with that, you should go, of course I struggle with that. <laughs> of course I struggle with that. Why? Because the law of God, which is the law of love, that's what it is, is inside you, and so is the law of sin, which is always self. And they're both inside you, okay? So let's go to the second thing. That's the first one. But here's, here's the second. What's the other battle that's going on in this passage? It's the battle between your true self and your sinful nature. And this is super important. Before Christ, okay? Before Christ. So if you're not a Christian yet, or you can be actually super religious, God's law actually aggravates the problem, <laughs> okay? Before you're Christian, God's law aggravates the problem because if you're religious, you're actually trying to save yourself by following the law. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have done that? How many of you have tried to show how good you are to God? I'm gonna do everything you want me to do and I'm gonna show you how good I am. I'm telling you, man, that is so burdensome and so heavy, so the law, if you're trying to save yourself by following it, man, it's aggravating the problem. But at the same time, if you're trying to save yourself by rejecting the law, and many of us do that too. It's like, man, I just don't want to have anything to do with what God says. So the law actually aggravates the problem. But after you receive Christ, you guys, here's what's crazy. A transaction takes place. So all a Christian is, again, I say this all the time, a Christian is someone who... The Mr. Hyde showed himself and we saw it. <laughs> and you actually saw, oh my gosh, I am really messed up. I really am separated from God because of what's inside of me. I'm wounding my own heart and I'm wounding all the people around me. And you finally see your sin. And as soon as you finally see your sin and you realize I can't make myself any better. And then you hear this message and Jesus says, I came to save you from your sin. As soon as you realize that and you confess your sin, two things happen. Jesus says, I take my, your sin away from you. I completely forgive you. And I put a new spirit inside of you. This is when Jesus said, you get born again. And I'm like, it's so funny, man. For so many years, I hated that term. Can I just be honest? I hated born again. Anybody else ever hate the word born again? Just me. It's great. You know, you know why? It was because when I was in high school, man, I remember I had a buddy, and he said, Nelson. He was on, I played football with him. He goes, Nelson, man, I went to your church. He goes, I think I sat behind one of those born-again people. You know? And I, I, just, I just had this negative terminology growing up of what it meant to be born again. It's the most beautiful term in the world. All Jesus is saying is, when you receive me, you get a brand new start. You get my spirit inside of you. You become my child. 
and you belong to me. And this law thing that you were trying to follow, now I'm just going to write it right on your heart. And you actually want to do it. You have a new self. And this new self actually battles the sinful self. Here's what, look at Romans, what he says, Paul says. He goes, I don't understand what I do. Now look at, because for what I, everybody say this, for what I want, that was bad. Let's all do this. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself Hear what Paul's saying? Because I have this new self. I have a want in me. I have a new desire in me. I don't even want to do this thing that I'm doing. But what he's saying is my real self in my inner being, right? In Romans 7, 22, he goes, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. What happened? He goes, I can tell you this right now, man. Before you're a Christian, you don't delight in God's law. Right? You just don't. You're like, you reject it, man. I don't want anything to do with it. That's how we know Paul's a Christian when he's saying this. Because you kind of feel like, oh, man, I have to do this. And it's a burden. But after Christ, and you get filled with his love, now all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't have to follow the law. I want to follow it. Because I just want to love the one who loved me. You have a new self inside of you. But the battle's still on, Right? The game is still on. The evil, Paul says, evil is right there beside me. But what he's saying, but it's not me anymore. I want in my deepest being one thing. I want to follow God. That leads us to the third battle. Desire versus power. Desire versus power. And this is in every one of us. What's it say in Romans 7, 18? He says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Oh, man. Here's the point that hit me. Maybe fresh and new this week as I was studying this. I think here's the point of Romans 7. He goes, you and I, you in and of yourself, in and of yourself, you're never going to win. Even as a Christian, in yourself, you're never going to win. Romans 7 just tells us, man, it's always going to be your battle, you guys. It's always going to be our battle. Until heaven, right? Because that's what, Paul, what the Bible says is once we get to heaven, this old body that is so messed up with sin is gone, and we get a new one, and everything's completely different. It's going to be a great day. But here's what we understand. Come on, man. You, you, we know this as Christians. You didn't have the power to save yourself. You know that. That's what, right? Because if you had the power to save yourself, you would have done it. <laughs> Anybody in here actually tried to save someone who was drowning? How many of you, anybody had that experience? Okay, just a few of us. I had to do that with my brother. You guys know, right, when someone's drowning, what are they doing? They're, they're just flat. They're doing everything they can, right, to do what? Save themselves. You know, and you sit there and you go, well, just try a little harder. You can do it. I'm your savior. No, no. It's like when you, when you realize the guy's going down, you go in. But I also took life-saving in college, okay? I barely passed, so if you're swimming with me, don't rely on me, okay? <laughs> but I do remember what they told me. When you go to save someone who's drowning, what do you got to do, man? 
you got to calm them down because they're going to whack you in the face and then they'll knock you out and then you're both going down. Okay? So it's a huge issue. We need to understand this. You have a battle inside you, but you don't have the power to overcome it in and of yourself. Here's what Paul said, his last statement. He goes, so then I myself... In my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So Celebrate Recovery, guys, which we do on, on Monday nights here, every Monday night. And what is Celebrate Recovery, by, by, by the way, what's it for? It's for anybody who has a hurt, a hang-up, or a habit that they can't get over. Anybody got one of those in this room? <laughs> okay, if you're human, you, so really, Celebrate Recovery is for everybody. And if you want to be around a great group of people, man, who are, who are figuring out how to win this battle, show up tomorrow night, 6.30, okay? Right in the, in the lobby. But here's the points. 12 steps, same thing. What's the first principle in Celebrate Recovery? Realize I'm not God. <laughs> and I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. The first thing, so here you go. Come on, baby. So you got your life. You're looking good. Nobody knows the struggle that you can't overcome, but you know it. You know it. And the first thing that has to happen is you say, I want to win. But then you got to say, and I don't have the power. You got to admit you don't have the power. And then the second principle is earnestly believe that God exists and that I matter to him and that he has the power to help me recover. Man, if you feel like your issue is like walking on water, here's the good news. Jesus walked on water. And that's the last point. Here it is, man. Do you want to be a prisoner for the rest of your life or do you want to be rescued? I like rescued. I I know I put, oh, you changed it for me. Thanks. Rescued. Here we go. Look at what it says in Romans 7. I see another law at work in me, waging war against, waging war, there it is, against the law of my, of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And here's what Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes, here, here's the point. We're a prisoner. You can be a prisoner which means to be made captive. Paul, in the beginning of this thing, he said, I was sold as a slave to sin. You know, when you're sold as a slave, who, who willingly entered slavery, right? In our horrific American history, the picture of these free men in Africa and free women and children in Africa being sold as like being not under the will, taken and stuck on a ship and brought over here and then stood up and then sold into slavery. That is something you don't want to do. It's something that happened to you. Here's the good news. Paul's saying, you were sold into slavery. You were sold into slavery. It just happened to you. You're a prisoner. But at the same time, you guys don't slip into the slavery of being a prisoner to self-righteousness either. Don't fall into that one either. That you can do it. Because you can't. All right? So where's the victory? Okay? Where's the victory in this? How can we win? How do you get rescued? There's two things real quick that Paul says in here. The first thing that happens is you must say, what a wretched man I am. And here's the fourth principle of Celebrate Recovery. 
openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Here's the biggest danger as, as, as Christians, you guys. We can slip into a routine, you know, where we just kind of, well, we sin. You know, we, we just sin. And we see sin as a minor slip. Just, oh, this little, this bothers me. Paul's like, no, it's not a little bother you. He's like, when you see your sin against the holy, loving, good, righteous God, you just go, I am wretched. And you must get to that place in your heart where you go, I can't do it. And then the second thing Paul says, what a wretched man I am. And then he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why does he say that? Because Jesus is the one who took on human flesh. He lived, right? He was born, Christmas is coming up. He was born of the Holy Spirit, but he was born of Mary. He was the God-man. He's the one who lived in this body. And here's what the scriptures say. He was tempted in every way that you are. Okay? What's your battle? When you look in the mirror and you go, oh my gosh, I can't overcome this. Jesus is like, I can. I, I, I was tempted with that one. I absolutely have experienced every temptation that you've come. But the scripture says he was tempted in every way and yet he did not sin. So Paul's like, who can rescue me from this? Jesus is like, I can. I can. And he's the only one who can. Why? Because, his, because of the fact that he was sinless, he could actually, on the cross, okay, he could actually take your sin and pay for it. Think about this. If Jesus had sinned, then what? Then he would have had to pay for his own sin, <laughs> He would have needed a savior too. But because he didn't sin, he was able to be the savior of your sin. So the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, you guys, oh, I can, don't miss these next four weeks. <laughs> Or you won't get this. This will be like, oh, nice church, and you'll go home, and nothing will change in your life. But if you'll come back, Jesus is ready. The scriptures are ready to show you. You must understand this. I came to take away your sin, and I'm the only one who can do it. That's how I can rescue you. I'm the only one who can take your punishment away from you so that you can be reconciled to God. That's what he did on the cross. But then the second thing is, he rose from the dead because there was no sin to keep him dead. And now he's alive today. You guys, if Jesus Christ isn't alive, then let's all go home. But if he is, then his spirit is able to come inside your spirit and give you power to actually overcome what's in your life. And you don't think you can walk on water. And neither did Peter. But he did. And Jesus Christ can come in to what is absolutely overcoming you. And he can say, but I overcame it. I overcame it. And we're going to dive in, man. I so wish I could just go give you the next four messages right now. <laughs> but I'm done. So here's what we're going to do, man. The band's going to come up. 
And they, this, this first song is so killer. We're going to take our offering while we do. So you guys go ahead, and the, the greeters are, are here. And again, I know the game's going to be on, but just fight the battle. And, I'm, and again, by the way, can I say this too? If you're visiting to K2, don't worry about this financial moment, man. If you're not a follower of Christ, for sure, don't worry about this. This is, this is just God's opportunity he's given us to love him. So if you follow him and Jesus is inside of you, yeah, man, love him, love, love, love the world, love each other, and love yourself by taking the offering, okay? But this song is going to enter us into a time. We, I'm telling you, you have an opportunity in this moment right now to say, Jesus, 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 would you rescue me? Would you bring me back? Would you take me back to the place where things are right and where they're good? Would you take me, right? Because Jesus, it says that he came to reconcile us back to God. Jesus, take me from my mess and bring me back to the things that were right and were good. All right? Let's do this. Just sit, soak this in, and get ready to offer your heart to this God.